This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to take you to a passage that has always, always meant a great deal to me. It's always been a very special text in my life, but I didn't preach on it for the longest time. It's John chapter 21. If you'd go there with me, the very last chapter of John, John's gospel, chapter 21. It's always been a favorite section of scripture for me because of, of what takes place here. It's an incredible passage that John is the only one who tells us about. You know this, no doubt, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel evangelist writers, gives to us the events and the encounters and the conversations and the teachings of the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospel writers in that they give in many, in many places, in, in most places throughout their writings, the same stories, the same events from their optic, their vision, their point, their vantage point. And uh, Matthew gives details that Luke wouldn't and vice versa, and Mark would also do the same. John comes along. He was the last of the four gospel writers, and he gives us many miracles and stories that were not told in the previous three gospel writings. I'm just laying a groundwork for you here. Many of you would possibly call if I ask you which of the four gospel books or writers do you enjoy the most or would you call as your favorite one. Many of you would probably say John. I love John. It's the gospel of belief. The key word of the gospel of John is the word believe. In fact, when you come to the end of chapter 20, not 21, but the end of chapter 20, you read these words. And to me, it sounds like it ought to be the end of his writing. Look at verse, let's start in verse 30. It says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. By the way, that's a fascinating statement to me. I'm thinking to myself, how many more things are, did we, don't, we don't even know about? I can't wait. That's going to be one of the joys of heaven to hear some of those stories that we don't even know. All right, let's pick it up again. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Does that not just sound like that ought to be the last verse of his writing? I mean, just, to me, it just sounds like that's the end of his book, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of chapter, end of book, put a period on it, close it. But the Holy Spirit said, John, write this one also. And he begins to tell us a story that I, again, I avoided for years because there were some things I, I couldn't get a, a handle on because scholars and commentators have debated about some of the things that are in this chapter, and I felt like I can't, I can't preach it, teach it, until I really get a good grip on it. And then I was able to back off and just really see what the Lord is trying to tell us here and what he spoke to me about, and I hope to be a help to you with it together. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again 
to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, <coughs> called Didymus, which means the twin, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other of his disciples. We don't know who that would be. We can only guess. Now, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Now, I'm not going to park on this, but this is one of those first areas that I, I struggled with trying to get a handle on it because there would be some who would say that Peter was saying, I'm going to go back to the fishing business. I'm no good at this discipleship stuff. I failed our Lord miserably. And I'm just going to go back to the fishing business. That could have been what he was saying. I kind of lean that way. That some would say, no, he was just saying, I'm going to go fishing for one night. Well, don't get lost in trying to figure out which it was. Just get the point that he was doing something. He was returning to a past life, okay? Nothing sinful about fishing, but he was supposed to be waiting in Galilee for his Lord, his Savior. Jesus had told them in Jerusalem, wait for me, go back to Galilee and wait for me. I'll meet you there. They had a specific area to meet him, probably on the mountain there surrounding the Sea of Galilee, but they went back to the fishing business. Because Peter was such a great leader, it says there uh, in verse 3, he says, I'm going to go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. What could be worse than fishing all night long and not catching anything? I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's a miserable thing. There is one thing worse. It's found in the next verse. Here it is. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? In other words, did you catch anything, gentlemen? Friends, did you catch anything? What's worse than not catching anything is that somebody asks you, did you catch anything? And you got to answer them. And it says here, they answered him, no. You can see them gritting their teeth. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. I don't know if you have the gift of sarcasm, but I think that I would, uh, if I was on that boat, not knowing that that was Jesus on the shore, I would have been in the boat saying, Oh, we didn't think about that, casting the net on the other side. Oh, what does that guy know that we don't know? We've been casting it on either side all night long. But somehow or another, they convinced themselves, let's go ahead and do it. It says at the middle of verse 6, they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John's description of himself, the one who's writing this. That disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. And you know what happens next. Peter jumps in the water and he swims to shore. He he, he's so impulsive, he can't wait for that ship to get into the shoreline. He wants to speak to the Lord right now. I would have loved to have that conversation. The Bible doesn't tell us what they talked about. Now in verse 9, pick it up in verse 9. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. 
Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now, note this, the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, or yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, I, I'm sorry, I skipped the portion where he says Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. I said it at the beginning, and I say it again, this was always been one of my favorite stories in the life of Christ. We had two boys. They're both grown and, and, and gone now and gotten married and living life on their own. But uh, when they were at home, when they were little at home, I would put them to bed at night. And, and uh, for our family Bible time, I wanted to bring the Bible to life. And, and I don't know where. I just, I just had the idea of one night trying this, and it went over so well. I did it for years. I took the stories of the Bible, events in the Bible, and I, I acted them out. I just acted them out. I'd put the boys in their bed, in their bunk beds, and I would tell them. We called it the story on the floor, and I was just right there in front of them. I would act out some story. I mean, I've been Jonah, and I've been the big fish that swallowed him. I've been, been David killing Goliath. I've been Noah building the, uh, the ark, and uh, I've been all the animals getting inside the, uh, a bunch of the animals getting inside the ark. And uniquely enough, the animals would just simply uh, find their way on top of the boys' beds, and I would crawl and, and, uh, and, and pounce upon them like a bear. And uh, I would, uh, I've been, I've been uh, a Peter walking on the water. Uh, I was Esther. No, that was a hard one. Uh, and uh, I've, I've been all the stories in the Bible. Whenever I got to this particular story and I acted it out, I remember I'd be bouncing back and forth and I would be uh, Jesus and I had a little fire uh, there on the floor and I'd come back over here and I would be uh, uh, Jesus speaking to Peter and, and Peter speaking to Jesus and I went back and forth. I remember the first time I was telling it, it, it came to life for me. I visualized it and I remember thinking, I love this. I love this story. I love what it represented. And I never preached on it until just a few years ago. Simply because, again, I, I, I couldn't grasp a couple of things. And I have come to understand what I believe the Lord wants us to see here. You probably got it much faster than I did. What do we have going on here? Jesus has risen from the dead. He has already met with his disciples on more than one occasion. He's met with them twice. Surprised them as he just appeared in a room. Peter has already confessed to the Lord Jesus, he, his sorrow for 
denying him. There's already been a confession. Uh, we, we read this in the book of Corinthians. We hear that uh, Peter's already had a time uh, with the Lord. But, but now, now, Peter here comes back to Galilee with his other friends, the disciples, and, and Peter sees a boat, and he says, I'm just going to go back to fishing. Let's go fish. And so they went to the boat. They weren't where they were supposed to be. They went fishing all night long. They were not where they were needed to be, and they were not what they were. Uh, they were not at the place where they could meet the Lord Jesus. And when they when they got in that boat, they didn't catch anything all night long. And then when they see this stranger on the shore, the sun was beginning to come up. He asked, "Did you catch anything?" "No, we didn't." Cast it on the other side. They cast it net on the other side. They bring forth a bunch of. A fish. Peter jumps in the water when he realizes it's the Lord. He goes to shore. Now put yourself in the sandals or in the bare feet of these men. They don't have an idea. They don't have a clue as to what's next. I mean, we thought you were going to set up the kingdom. We thought that we were going to be with you and, and overturn Rome. And, and you were crucified and you've risen again. You're still here. But we don't know. We, we know we denied you and we're... We're, hum we're humbled by that. We're not real sure what to expect. And, and Jesus greets them and he says, come on, I got breakfast going. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm sure you are. You've been up all night long. I got breakfast going. Come on, let's eat something. Now you may be thinking, uh, where did Jesus, you know, get the fire? And where, where did he get the fish and, and get the bread to do all this? And my answer to you is, Give me a break. I mean, really? I mean, this is the Lord. I mean, he could have spoken and the fish just jumped out of the water. and That'll do. And he puts that on the fire. And he maybe looked at a stone. And he says, turn to bread. I don't know. But he's got toast and meat cooking. And I mean, he's ready to serve them a meal. And they come up to shore. And they begin to eat breakfast. And you can imagine the conversations. Might have been a little whispered. Maybe a couple of guys were saying, what are we going to do? I don't know. Just wait and see what Jesus has to say. I mean, they, they now have discovered this is him. Somehow or another, Jesus in his resurrected state at times appeared different. And they know it's him. And they're saying, well, I don't know. Let's just wait and see what he's got to say. Maybe somebody said, can I get another piece of meat? Can, can I have some fish? Yeah, thank you. And uh, How about some toast? And Jesus is serving them. In the middle of all this conversation, Jesus says, Peter, <coughs> Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, in his typical style, no doubt, probably kind of looked around at everybody and, and, and realized he was being put on the spot a little bit, but he says, yes. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Now, here's another area of, of, of not contention, but, but question. Jesus used one form of the word love, and Peter answered with another form of the word love. I, I got stumbled over by that, and I realized there's a lesson in that, uh, Jesus asked him about the highest level of love, and it was like it was like Peter was saying, "Well, I could never, I could never confess to love you with that agape, highest level of love, but I can give you that second level of phileo love." And I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds of that thing because honestly, there are times, even in the Gospel of John, where the Lord Himself interchanged those words, agape and phileo. In fact, even even in referencing John. He referred to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. At one time, it was the disciple whom Jesus phileo loved. And at other times, it was the disciple whom Jesus loved, agape loved. So even in reference to himself, he used those words interchangeably. So I'm not going to beat Peter up over this. However, it could have been that he was saying, I could never confess that I'm at the highest level, but I can give you, I can give you that next level 
down. I, I, I love you with a great affection. But the point is, he gave him the answer, I love you. If I stopped you out in the hallway, if I knew you or if I was just meeting you, and I'm not going to do this, but if I said to you, hey, friend, good to meet you. Hey, do you love the Lord? I'm convinced probably 100% of you or close to it would say the same thing that Peter said. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. I love him. Sing about him. I'm at church. I love him. Those watching on live stream would say the same thing. I love him. Yes. Okay. Now, we got it back to back to back in our scripture, but I'm, I, I would imagine that conversations carried on for a while and, and maybe people again say, can I get a little bit more to eat? And maybe somebody's yawning because they've been up all night long and finding a soft spot in the sand to just maybe lay down and catch a little mid-morning nap or something. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, Simon, Peter, do you love me? I can see Peter, Peter looking around like, didn't we already cover this? Yes. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed and tend to my lambs, my sheep. And then maybe you can hear somebody snoring over off to the side. He's leaning up against a tree and he's, he's already passed out. Maybe you hear a couple of guys talking, saying, what are we going to do today? And he's, I don't know, let's wait and see what we're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, after a few moments of time, Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And on this time, the Bible says that Peter was grieved. I, I take that to mean he began probably to weep and he's, he's broken and he realizes the the, the one who loves him more than anybody else on earth, the one who knows him better than anybody else, is asking for the third time, just like Peter had denied him three times, he's asking three times, do you love me? Peter is grieved because he got asked for the third time, and he says, you know, I love you. Okay, Peter, and feed my sheep. You know, this is a serious conversation that's going on. I don't, know if, I don't know if you remember what we used to call junior high. I guess it's called middle school now. You remember those days when, when you're a boy, you're relearning how to walk a lot of times because your body's growing up so fast and you hang out in every kitchen you can come close to because you're always hungry. But I can remember in the seventh grade, uh, I was, uh, I'd go to school, large school that I attended, and we'd gather together and we'd be throwing the football around at the beginning of the school day and get all hot and lathered up and sweaty and, and everything. And, but you didn't care. You were, you were a 13-year-old seventh grader. You didn't care what your hair looked like. You didn't care what you looked like or smelled like because, you know, I mean, you're at that age, it's not that big of a deal. And so you'd go to the first hour class and sit down and, uh, and you'd cool off in the first hour class. And when the class was over with, you would, uh, you'd get up and the desk would go with you. I mean, it, it, you know, it'd be stuck to your clothes and the sweat would uh, stick to it. Well, anyway, uh, that went on for a few weeks at, of school. And then all of a sudden, I began to notice that my buddies, the guys that I was out there throwing the football with, they failed to show up. I mean, day after day after day, I mean, it was like three or four days in a row. I'm out there by myself just kind of tossing the football in the air thinking... You know, where, where is everybody? Again, large school, so I couldn't just kind of walk around and find them quickly. And, uh, and then maybe sometimes when I saw them during the day, we crossed paths or at lunch, I didn't ask them. You know, I just had forgotten about it. But finally, somewhere along the way, I just, I just simply said to one of my, my buddy friends, Gary, I said, hey, Gary, where, where are you guys in the morning? I'm out there by myself. Don't you want to throw the football? And he nervously 
confessed to me that they were all with other people. And I said, well, who? I said, is there another game going on on the property of the school? I said, tell me where it is. I'll join you. And, and he said, no. I said, well, who are you with? He said, I, I've been with Tina. I, lo- I looked at him like he was being punished. I said, Tina? What in the world for? You remember that age? Things begin to change. And that Hallmark movie bug had not bitten me yet. A little romantic thing was beginning to spread all over our little seventh grade school, our large in junior high school. I mean, all over the place. You begin, I begin to look around. I begin to see it happening everywhere. You know, some, some seventh grade boy walking the door with the seventh grade girlfriend, you know. I mean, hadn't quite, hadn't quite grown up yet, you know. He's walking around saying, I got me a girlfriend, you know. Now, young people don't play this game, all right? I'm just telling you that's what was happening. And I, and I thought, this is crazy. I mean, I, it just hadn't, it hadn't gotten a hold of me yet. Well, I hate to tell you, you've heard about peer pressure. They begin to put pressure on me. They reversed it. They said, hey, you, don't, don't be making fun of us. Don't get upset with us. I said, you need, they said, you need to get a girlfriend. I said, I don't want a girlfriend. I said, I've got a girlfriend. They said, you do? Yep. Who? I said, my football. I said, this is all a guy could ever really want. I said, this is what, I said, it doesn't even talk back to me. I said, I mean, I love it. And they said, no, Gleiser, you got to get a girlfriend. I said, I don't want one. And they put the squeeze on me and they said, come on, you're missing out. And I said, okay. Now, ladies, would you just forgive me for the rest of this story? Remember, I was a seventh grade little 13-year-old boy. I didn't know any better, all right? So again, the the romantic little bug had not bitten me. I was just trying to take care of uh, following my friends. Uh, This is really the the way I handled it. I said, okay, okay, what's left? And I looked around our school and I said, you know, what's available? Like a farmer looking at cattle, you know? I'm just saying, what's out there, you know? What, What can I find? And they said, no, you just don't just do it that way. You've got to have a, a feel for it. And I said, a feel for it? I said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I spotted a girl. I didn't know her. And I said, she, <laughs> I said, she looks halfway decent. I said, uh, <laughs> who's that? They looked over and they said, we don't know. I said, you think, you think she's got a boyfriend? We don't, we don't know, they said. We don't even know who she is. And I said, you think she's in the seventh grade? I said, because I can't, I can't go, I can't approach an eighth grader because I mean, I mean, they're almost ready for college, you know, I mean, I got to stay in my age bracket. And they said, no, we don't know. I said, well, go find out what her name is and go find out if she's got a boyfriend. Don't let her know you're asking. And so they snuck around for me and asked her a few questions and they came back. I, I think it was the same day. They said, you're in business. Seventh grader. Here's her name. No boyfriend. I said, Okay. So again, I ask your forgiveness. I just walked up to her and I said, hey, uh, you got a boyfriend? She said, no. You want one? Maybe. I said, consider it done. And I turned and I I walked away and my friend said, no, 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 no. Now you got to talk to her. I said, talk to her? About what? I don't know. They said, just think of things. So every morning before school, 
we'd stand around out in the hallway before the bell rang. We'd stand around there trying to, I'm trying to think of things to say. I, you know, I'd say, well, did you, uh, did you get your homework done? <laughs> On the inside, I'm thinking, I don't care if you did or didn't, you know. But, uh, what I wanted to say was, can you run a post pattern? I think I can hit you, you know, I, you know. How about them cowboys, huh? You know, and don't get mad at me, people who hate my cowboys. Well, that went on seriously, as best I recall, for five weeks, just a little over a month. It, she was a nice girl. She really was a sweet girl. Most girls, they, they certainly at that age, they're very, very nice. They don't grow up well sometimes. But I mean, they, uh, I'm joking. I mean, they, 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 she was a sweet girl, nice girl. After about five weeks, I just walked up to her one morning and I said, and I was trying to do her a favor, and I was. I went up to her and I said, hey, look, I said, this, uh, whatever this thing is that you and I are doing and we got going, I said, it's not going to work. I said, so uh, uh, let's, let's just, and I looked at her and I saw her eyes begin to fill with tears. And I saw her lip begin to quiver and and I, thought, and I said, now don't start that. I said, we don't even know each other. I said, I mean, don't. I said, let's just be friends. <laughs> she started crying, and she, she grabbed all of her uh, girlfriends, and they went into the girl's office. You know what that is. That's the restroom. They went in the restroom, and in the restroom, it was talking about me. And for the rest of that day, all of her friends walked around. They, they, they just glare a hole at me like you, you, Homewrecker, you, you heartbreaker. And I said, uh, they'll get over it. And, uh, and I, I said, I'm a happier guy. Now, look, if you had asked me then and if you asked me today, did you, did you love that girl? Did you love her? The answer is quick. No, I didn't love her. Are teenagers able to love? Yes, they're able to love. But no, I didn't love her. She was a sweet girl, nice kid. But I didn't love her. But when Jesus asks us, his followers, do you love me? It's a serious question. We can't laugh it off and say, yeah, sure, yeah, count on me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, no, it's a serious question. In fact, the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times indicates the, the depth and the, and the reality of his question. Do you really Love me. And here sits Peter on this beach to the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee and he breaks down. He says, Lord, you know me. You know I love you. What's going on? Think about this. After all the encounters that Jesus has had, after all the teaching of the four Gospels, after all the miracles after all of his prayers, after all of his uh, uh, parables, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he is soon to depart and leave them and go back to heaven. At the very end of it all, the very last chapter of the four Gospels, the one question that Jesus wants to know is this, do you love me? And most of us, if not all of us, would say yes. And then he says do you? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. And then he looks you straight in the eye again and he says, do you really? What can we learn from this encounter? There's a whole lot more than what I'm going to give you in these next few moments. 
But this great truth, this first truth is to me a great truth. The first thing I see in this whole story is this. Jesus is communicating his patience. Now, I hope that you'll learn this. Jesus could have looked at all those disciples when they came to the shore, and he could have said, what is the deal? What, is your, what, what have you guys been doing? I told you to wait for me here in Galilee, and here you, here you go fishing all night long. Now you're exhausted, and, you, and you, you didn't go where I told you to meet me, and, and you've been out there on the Sea of Galilee. What is going on, fellas? You know, may, maybe in the remaining few days that I have here on planet Earth, maybe I should go invest some time with some other people who would like to be my followers and, and be my servants because you guys clearly don't get it. You keep fumbling and stumbling and disappointing me. I, I just don't think I'm going to have any more time with you. He could have said all that but you don't get a hint of that. What do you hear? Here's what you hear. Come and dine. I got breakfast going for you. I got, I got, I got the fire going. I got some fish on the grill. Come on, come, come and eat. And when he says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, then I'm not through with you. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. I'm not through with you. Yes, you failed me. I got some good news for you. Failure is not final. You think about the people who wrote the Bible. Can you think about it? Think about the people who wrote the scriptures. Would you want any of them on your pastoral staff? You know, here comes Moses. He killed a man. He, he, uh, he hollered at people. I don't think we need him working in the children's church. You know, I don't think that's where we need to have him. Here comes David. Oh, David, what a great guy. Oh, no, 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 no. Adultery and at least manslaughter, if not murder, uh, killing uh, Uriah. Yeah, uh, I don't want him around my wife. Uh, you know, I, I don't want him around our and leadership. Uh, here comes Paul. Paul often spoke about his sordid past and things he had done. You know, there's not anybody in the scriptures who wrote scriptures who would say to you, I'm worthing, worthy of the opportunity to write the holy writ of God. No, I'll tell you something. Jesus takes people who are nothing but a bunch of failures and he says, do you love me? I do. Do you want me to use you? Yes. Then feed my sheep. I'm not through with you. Jesus is communicating his patience. There's not a one of us in this room who could not say, I have failed the Lord so many times. I am so inconsistent in my walk with the Lord. I am such a failure in, my, uh, in, in, in fighting off sin. I keep committing the same sin over and over and over again. I got a problem, somebody would say. I got a problem with worry. I just worry. I just worry a lot. Somebody else says, I got a problem with temper. I mean, it, it, people irritate me. This world would be a whole lot better if these people would get out of my way. Other people say, my problem is a mind that goes down avenues of lustful thought, and I just wish I could stop it. And somebody else says, no, I got a problem of jealousy and envy. I look at people and what they've got, and I think, I wish that I, I, wish that I could get married. I wish we could have a house like they've got. I wish I had the cash that they've got. And, we, and, and your mind is involved with sin, and you think to yourself, yeah, I want to be a follower of the Lord like you just preached. Yeah, I want to be a disciple, but I'm such a loser. And Jesus says, come and die. I'm not through with you. I, I got some work for you to do. Feed my sheep. Now, this is not minimizing the ugliness of sin. No, no, no. I say again, Peter had already confessed that he, would, he had done wrong. And he had denied the Lord. And Jesus was saying, I know. And I'm not through with you. You know, I'm convinced that 
the devil who is called the accuser of the brethren. I believe his accusation is kind of in a two-directional direction. I believe he, he accuses us before the Lord as he did Job. But I think he also accuses us. I think he, it's as if he whispers in our own memory bank. You're, you know, when you were younger in the Lord, you could, you could call for God's forgiveness. You could ask for his mercy. But you know, that mercy's kind of run dry. I mean, by this time, God can't keep forgiving. You just keep doing the same things and you keep failing the Lord. You know, at some point in your Christian life, the, it's all been drained out and it's all over. And this thing about really being on fire for God, that's going to have to be for somebody else because you, you've worn the Lord out. Surely he's weary with forgiving you. You know what we do when we think those thoughts? We're humanizing God. Because what we're doing is we're thinking a human being wouldn't forgive me that many times. And that is often and probably always true. Uh, uh, this, this one who, who says they love me and care for me, I mean, I have failed them so often. And, and yet sometimes I have to work hard to really get forgiven, whether it be at home or in some other place. And so somewhere along the way, we begin to think that Jesus would not forgive me. You know, I think that's maybe one of the things that Paul was talking about in Philippians 3. In verse 13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't reached everything that has reached out and grabbed me. I haven't fulfilled everything. But he said, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I'm pressing on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things which are behind. You know, you go driving down the highway, down the road, you got this big front uh, uh, windshield in front of you that presents everything in front. And you've got this little mirror, a rearview mirror, that you can glance at to see where you've been. You can look at the back uh, for a while. You, but if you were driving down the road and all you did was look at the past, and all you did was look at the rearview mirror the whole time, you're going to have a wreck. You can learn from the past, but keep your eyes on that front place where God is leading you to. Can you imagine a father taking his little, his little uh, one-year-old child who's showing signs of wanting to walk, and you know, he props up little Bubba, and, uh, and he says, all right, Bubba, come walking over here to Daddy, right here. And that little hunk of flesh, you know, just kind of takes two steps. He's really stumbling. He's not really walking. He's stumbling, and it falls flat on his face. What dad would go, well, what's your problem? What is the deal with you? You know, quit crying. He props up little Leroy again. All right, come on. Come on over here. Walk, with, walk over here to daddy. And he takes like six or seven steps, <clears throat> falls down again. What dad says, honey, he must be from your side of the family because I, I'm just telling you, in my family, we walk, and this kid doesn't know how to walk. No, he didn't do that. He says, it's okay, son. You're going to learn. Keep at it. Keep working at it. Your heavenly father says, I know. I know that you know failure. I, I, I went through those temptations. I did it without sin, but I know what you're facing. Get back up. My friend, and maybe yours, if you know him, Rand Hummel has said for years, the difference between a good Christian and a godly Christian is not based upon how many times a Christian falls but how many times they get back up. Paul wrote his friend Timothy 
And he said to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a healthy, sound mind. He was saying, Timothy, get back in the fight. Timothy had gotten so distraught and discouraged, Paul was trying to get him to see, God's not through with you. Stir up the gift which is in you. Get back at it again. The first thing I see is he is... He is uh, he was, called, he was uh, communicating his patience. Can I give you one more thing? And I love this. Jesus is calling for priority. He's calling for priority. You know what priorities are. You're setting an agenda or setting a schedule for your daily life. I've got to do this first before I can do this and do this. Jesus says, I'm calling you to priority. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse 15. He says in verse 15, he says to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? Now, here is the other area that I grappled with and struggled to get an answer for my own heart and mind. What is Jesus talking about? Do you love me more than these? These what? Well, you read what the scholars and commentators will say, and they occasionally will say, we're not real sure what Jesus was referring to or pointing to, but some of them will try to be dogmatic and say, he was saying, do you love me more than these fish and the fishing business and the ship out there that you just came off of and the tackle gear and everything? Do you, do you love me more than you love all this that you're going back to? Now, that could have been what he was referring to. He could have been pointing to that. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Or he could have been saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because a few days ago, Peter, you said this. You said, oh, they'll deny you. Yeah, they'll probably turn their back on you, but I never will. Uh, Pete, how'd that turn out for you? Now, Jesus wouldn't have been rude or sarcastic, but you get the point. He, he could have been saying, do you love me more than they love me? Like you said they did, like you said about yourself a few days ago. Or maybe thirdly, he was saying, do you love me more than you love these Disciples, these other guys. Uh, there's Andrew, your brother, and James and John, your cousins, and, and here are, these guys have been your friends, and you've been, you've been uh, basically living together here all these last uh, three years. Do you love me more than you love your friends? You say, hey, Brother Morris, what do you think it was? Was he referring to fish or Peter's position or Peter's love more than <coughs> the other disciples? And my answer is, I don't know, and you don't know. Nobody really knows, but don't miss the point. Jesus was saying this, do you love me more than, here's the answer, everything. Do you love me more than anything, any one thing? Do you love me more than anyone? Do you love me more than everyone? You see my point? Jesus was calling for priority. He was saying, after everything I've taught you, after everything you've seen demonstrated, after it comes right down to this as I'm about to leave, do you really love me above everything else? Your young people would possibly remember that no doubt every time I've ever preached to teenagers, I usually will grab a chair and pull that chair out in front of them and I'll say, young people, this chair represents the throne room of your heart and there's only room for one God. There's only room for one Lord. There's only room for one master. There's only room for one king and ruler of your life. The one thing that you live for, it is the king of your heart. And I'll pull that chair out in front of him and I'll say, what's on your throne? And I'll say, maybe, maybe it's sports. It is the God of your life. 
Maybe it's your music, your favorite music. Maybe it's all your technological toys, your phone. You just can't imagine living without it. Or maybe it is, uh, maybe it is, uh, maybe it's your friends and you've got to have all your friends' approval and you live for them. Or maybe it's one particular friend, one guy, one girl. Maybe it's your car that you own or you hope to own someday. And I'll name several things, those young people, and I'll say, now look, I don't doubt that you love the Lord, but the Lord is saying to you, I want to occupy the throne room of your heart. It's not like you've told the Lord, get out of my life. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Just get away from me. It's like, Lord, just stand off to the side. You're very important, but you're not most important. And I'll say to those young people, maybe it's time to clean off the chair of your heart and say, Lord, come back. I want you to occupy first place. Now come up close to your Bible and hear me. What's good for teenagers is good for every one of us in this room. We can allow a business, hang on, a family, a house, our belongings, our ambitions, our retirement, We can allow any number of things to occupy the throne room of my life. It's not like you don't love the Lord, but Jesus is calling for top priority. I want to be in first place. That's what he was saying in his wonderful sermon on the mount in Matthew Matthew 6 and verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You remember when, when John, the one who wrote this gospel, wrote, wrote the, the, the book of Revelation. He also wrote those seven letters. He wrote to the church at Ephesus. And, and from, from the Lord, he was to able to write to them and say, I know your works. I know that you've been faithful in labor for me, but I do have one thing against you. What was it? You've left your first love. You know what first love is. Some new married, new married couple comes into your church and, I just got married two weeks ago or two days ago, and I mean they're just they're all wrapped up in each other. You can't even tell whose arm belongs to who, and they don't need a lot of space on the pew. Pastor Ned leads them a song, but they they may they may look up there, but they're just looking at each other during the song service and smiling and making fun. And if you, it may be some lady sitting behind this couple, she's looking at them saying. Yeah, this is, aren't they cute? And that's just so cute. She tells her husband, Isn't they, aren't they cute? You know, he's about six feet away down the pew. <laughs> Social distanced. And he, he said, what? What do you want? Hopefully not. Not really. And she said, I said, aren't they cute? They used to sit like that too. But, oh, they're still married. Yeah, oh, I still love her but they're not expressing it in the way they used to, that first love. Jesus is calling us to first place priority of love to him. I got more to say, but time's gone. I can think about people that I've met and hopefully have seen the truth in their life that it wasn't just an expression of, yes, I love the Lord, oh, how I love Jesus, and sing those songs, but sincerely from their life, they were living a life that all things else fell into other priority positions. God was in top-notch first place of their life. Maybe it's time to clean off the throne of your own heart and say, Lord, you have first place in my life. Would you bow your heads with me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, sir. 
So he says to you, believer, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Then he says, do you? Yes. Do you really love the Lord? Take a moment with your Lord right now, would you? Maybe there needs to be some cleaning off of the throne right now and just say, God, I want it to be said about me that I love you above all other loves. Take a moment with your Lord, would you? Father, as we conclude this combined uh, Bible fellowship, Sunday school, whatever we call this time together, I pray that you'll help us to recall and remember what it must have been like for Peter and because it was recorded for us in your word that you're asking us to make you the, the priority love of our life. And I'm asking you, Lord, to help us to really rejoice because you, you have been so forgiving and our failures have been so frequent and yet you faithfully forgive when we confess our sin. We rejoice in you. The power you have to forgive and to give us another chance to serve you. And I ask you with all of my heart that you'll encourage the people of Good News Baptist to go forth and live a life in such a way that conveys that they are truly a follower of yours who have you as the first love of their life. We ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.